This is the Daily Signal podcast for Thursday, March 5th. I'm Jared Stepman. And I'm Rachel Del Judas. The Supreme Court heard oral arguments Wednesday for a case, June Medical Services v. Russo, on a Louisiana law on abortion clinic regulations that says doctors who perform abortions must have admitting privileges at a nearby hospital. Our colleague Rob Louie breaks the case down with Jeffrey Landry, Louisiana's Attorney General, and Liz Merle, Louisiana's Solicitor General, who argued the case before the Supreme Court. And if you're enjoying this podcast, please be sure to leave a review or five-star rating on Apple Podcasts and encourage others to subscribe. Now on to our top news. Lawmakers in the House and Senate reached a bipartisan deal to fund coronavirus countermeasures on Wednesday, according to the New York Times. The deal will approve $8.3 billion in emergency funding to stem the spread and deal with the effects of the disease. $7.8 billion will be allocated to agencies dealing with the virus, according to the Times, and $500 million will be allocated to Medicare providers to deliver telemedicine services to elderly patients who are at higher risk. In other coronavirus news, Los Angeles County declared a state of emergency on Wednesday, with most U.S. coronavirus cases occurring on the West Coast. There have been coronavirus cases on the East Coast, too. As of Wednesday, there have been six confirmed cases in New York State, according to the Times. In a 5-4 to four ruling on Tuesday, the Supreme Court ruled that state governments can prosecute illegal aliens of identity theft, including aliens who use false Social Security numbers to unlawfully gain employment, per the Daily Caller. The case nullifies a 2017 decision from the Kansas Supreme Court, which did away with convictions for three restaurant employees who lied on employment forms to be hired. Wednesday's decision involved the understanding of a law that makes it a federal crime to lie on employment authorization forms, known as the Immigration Reform and Control Act, or IRCA. In the majority opinion, Justice Samuel Alito, who is joined by Justices John Roberts, Clarence Thomas, Brett Kavanaugh, and Neil Gorsuch, wrote, Although IRCA expressly regulates the use of I-9s and documents appended to that form, No provision of the IRCA directly addresses the use of other documents, such as federal and state tax withholding forms, that an employee may complete upon beginning a new job. A major abortion case has landed at the Supreme Court. June Medical Services LLC v. Russo deals with a Louisiana law requiring abortion providers to have admitting privileges to local hospitals if an emergency situation occurs. In a 2016 case, Whole Women's Health v. Hellerstedt, the court ruled 5-3 to three that a similar law in Texas placed a substantial burden on women seeking an abortion. However, there are two new justices on the Supreme Court, Neil Gorsuch and Brett Kavanaugh, both of whom were appointed by President Donald Trump. Media personality and fashion icon Kim Kardashian was at the White House on Wednesday to meet with President Trump with four women, including Alice Marie Johnson, who had their prison sentences commuted thanks to Trump's criminal justice reform. Before the visit, Kardashian tweeted, Today, Alice, Crystal, Judith, Tanise, and I, along with the Cut 50 team, will be at the White House bringing light to these women and discuss more change that our justice system desperately needs. President Donald Trump said on Tuesday that he spoke on the phone to a Taliban leader about the drawdown of U.S. forces in Afghanistan. Trump said, We had a very good conversation with the leader of the Taliban today, and they're looking to get this ended, and we're looking to get it ended. I think we all have a very common interest. We had actually a very good talk with the leader of the Taliban. 
The Trump administration reportedly made a deal with the Taliban to reduce the U.S. presence in the region. The war in Afghanistan has been ongoing for 18 years following the terrorist attacks on September 11, 2001. The attacks were conducted by al-Qaeda, which at the time was harbored by the Taliban. Next up, we'll have our interview with our colleague Rob Bluey, who talks about the Louisiana abortion case with Jeff Landry, Louisiana's Attorney General, and Liz Merle, Louisiana's Solicitor General. What the heck is trickle-down economics? Does the military really need a space force? What is the meaning of American exceptionalism? I'm Michelle Cordero. I'm Tim Desher. And every week on the Heritage Explains podcast, we break down a hot-button policy issue in the news at a 101 level. Through an entertaining mix of personal stories, media clips, music, and interviews, we help you actually understand the issues. So do this. Subscribe to Heritage Explains on iTunes, Google Play, or wherever you get your podcasts today. We are joined on the Daily Signal podcast by Louisiana Attorney General Jeff Landry and Solicitor General Liz Merle. Thanks for being here in the studio, fresh from the Supreme Court. Thanks for having us. You've had a busy day. On Wednesday, the Supreme Court heard oral arguments in a case from Louisiana about a law requiring abortionists to have admitting privileges at local hospitals. You argued that abortion clinics do not have standing to sue on behalf of patients. So there's a lot at stake in this case. Uh, Let's begin with today's arguments. Uh, First, tell us what it was like to be there in the court and what you told the justices. Well, it's always pretty exciting to be in the court and to argue a case at the Supreme Court. It's stressful. It's exciting at the same time. You know, this was a great case for us to have an opportunity, I think, to talk to the justices about the reality of the situation in our state and the ability to regulate abortion. I mean, the 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 case law on this promised that we could regulate abortion, that we could regulate clinics and doctors and we could set standards and that's what we are doing and I you know I think that so I think it was a good opportunity to to show them that when we do that we should we need some leeway to uphold our regulations. Can we go back to where it all began? Tell our listeners how this started, uh, why Louisiana decided to go down this path and uh, and what it actually means for residents in your state. Well, first of all, uh, you know, I think it's important to recognize that this case has a lot of um, of important nuances to it. Number one, it's about sovereignty. That's important to remember because it's about state sovereignty. Uh, And 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 when you say where did the case begin, of course, the case was the the bill was um, authored by uh, a black Democrat female, uh, Representative Katrina Jackson, who's now a state senator. So that's an interesting part to it, uh, and um, and of course then it became law, and then I don't know we've been arguing it now for about five years as it made its way through the courts, uh, but this is a case that basically says is the power to regulate health care a state's right or a federal right? Okay, is it because that's that's what this case is about? Because in Louisiana, what we did was we just folded abortion clinics into the state's regulatory environment. We didn't say we're going to pick on the abortion industry. No, we just said, listen, people who, uh, patients who go to these types of clinics deserve the same types of protections as others who go into other clinics, very similar to that. And and, and so this, that, to me, this is a common sense case. It should be easy, right? The fact that we have to argue this tells you how 
you know, um, broken the system is. And why is it important for abortionists to have these admitting privileges uh, at local hospitals? Uh, and, and tell us, you know, is it really hard for them to get? Is this, is this a burden that's placed upon them? Well, and, and I'll let Liz follow up with this, but that, that's a great question that I've been wanting someone to ask. Let me ask it in, instead of tell it, giving you an answer. Let me give you a question. Do you think that admitting privileges are important? I would think so. Yes. Right. Exactly. So yes, it's important. It, it's you got to cast aside the fact that there are abortions going on inside these clinics, and focus on the fact that there are invasive procedures going on. And at at the end of the day, those people, those patients, those women, those girls deserve the same level of protection as anyone else going through similar type procedures. Liz? Yeah, I think, you know, one of the narratives that I've had to fight against for months, not just for months, for years, and I, I mean, in this case, is is just the, the presumption, um, which I, I think is certainly incorrect, that abortion is categorically safe. And so, but but to the point about admitting privileges, generally, we require that of doctors in our state who perform anything from cataract surgery to an appendix. I mean, a wide variety of procedures if they are working at an ambulatory surgery center. So, you know, I think there's, it's just, if I was having a conversation with someone about a doctor who did 3,000 laparoscopic surgeries every year, then you probably wouldn't think that it was stupid to have admitting privileges. I mean, if somebody's going to going to put you in a position where you might have a, have a chance at a, at a lot of different serious complications, you would think that was a pretty valuable thing. You would at least be have some confidence that your doctor was a little more um, credentialed because his peers have credentialed him. Well, certainly if you're a patient, I would think that you would almost have that expectation, right? <laughs> well, you know, I, I'll tell you, I can remember having a conversation with a physician friend of mine. Uh, who does it? Who who has um, small procedures done in his office? In his office, and he n- had didn't know about this case. Had no idea this case was going on. I just went in one day. He was uh, doing a bunch of paperwork, and I was asking him what was going. on. He said, "Oh no." He said, "My insur- the insurance carrier, the major insurance carrier in Louisiana, is now requiring me to have admitting privileges in order to continue to see patients with those policies." Now, step back for a minute. Okay, this is not the government. This is private insurance is recognizing that it that admitting privileges are important for procedures that he's doing, not in an ambulatory center. Right. And just in in his office. And so I think it speaks volumes that the level of health care is increased when doctors have admitting privileges to hospitals. It's safer for the patient. Uh, and it also speaks volumes for the credentials of the doctor. Yeah, and it helps it helps ensure accountability. So it I mean, I think doctors if if they're being honest, they they will they will acknowledge that it is a proxy for competency that if you cannot get privileges at a hospital and we did show that uh, that the hospitals are not discriminating against these doctors solely on the basis of the fact that they do abortions. They've had privileges for decades while they were had an abortion practice. So I, I just think that part of it is is a false claim. Um, but if you ask anybody, I think they think it's a proxy for competency and it provides accountability, right? Because 
these doctors now have to answer to their peers. And if they start a procedure, they shouldn't start something they can't finish. I mean, it's it's pretty basic. I don't think that, that any doctor should be able to start a procedure that has known complications and not be able to manage the routine complications that can occur. It's just irresponsible. And that's not the standard of care anywhere, I don't think. I believe it was Justice Alito who asked the question in in the oral arguments about uh, whether or not there was there was a burden that uh, that, that these abortion uh, doctors would have to go through to get these privileges. Uh, from the sounds of it, there there doesn't seem to be uh, like it would be that difficult for them to take this step. Uh, what can you tell us about that? You know, it'd be interesting to know if Justice Kagan or Sotomayor would go to a clinic under which – and have a procedure performed under which a doctor didn't have admitting privileges to a hospital. You know, at what level of care would they appreciate uh, as well? Now, uh, just so our listeners um, – you know, they uh, love to follow the Supreme Court. We have our own podcast, SCOTUS 101, uh, which I, I know you're familiar with, Liz. Um, you know, I, it's one of those things that, uh, that that's come up in media reports. There was a, a case decided in 2016 involving a Texas law, which was similar. So back to what you were saying, Mr. Attorney General, at the beginning about states being able to determine, you know, their own policies. What can you tell us about that case and how that may factor into your law? Well, number one, it wasn't a similar case. That's the confusing part. Thanks for clarifying. Uh, Exactly. You know, amazingly, mainstream media gets it wrong, right? I mean, who? I mean, really? They 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 report the truth one hundred percent of the time, of course. But no, it's exactly the point. This is not a similar case. It is not a similar law. We have different facts Uh, in Texas, and I kind of boil it down like this. Now, Liz. You know, she's the Einstein of law, right? So she can she can tell you all the little bitty nuances. I just, you know, I'm a little country boy from small town, Louisiana. So I'll break it to you the way I understand it. It's simple. In Texas, they went out and specifically pointed to abortion clinics and said, we are now going to make doctors there have admitting privileges. In Louisiana, doctors in clinics similar to abortion clinics Everywhere across Louisiana, we're required to have admitting privileges. The legislature simply said, we are now going to fold you into our regulatory scheme. See, that's a state sovereignty. That's a state's rights issue. Uh, And that's why I think this case uh, has tremendous implications across a wide variety of constitutional law. It certainly does. Liz, did you want to add anything on that? Well, I mean, I certainly have tried to, and and I don't know that the, the the media cares too much about that issue. I do legally. I do. I think it matters a lot that our law is um, that it's a requirement that we require of other doctors and and doing other procedures. And in Texas, they didn't. I mean, they were only requiring abortion doctors to have admitting privileges, and they didn't require that at ambulatory surgery centers like we do. They also, their law also had required the the abortion clinics to meet the same physical plant standards as, as an ambulatory surgery center, which was an expensive proposition. So it was kind of a double whammy. One piece of it took effect and the other piece of it took effect and it had uh, had an impact across the state. That's just not true in our state. That didn't happen. And And the argument that they keep making that it's going to close clinics is wrong. It's not going to close clinics and that they can't get privileges is also wrong. And and we have a, 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 a disturbing history of, of conduct arising from both the providers and the clinics themselves of noncompliance with the law. So we should be able to regulate. I mean, if we can't regulate against the backdrop that we have, then 
we really can't do anything to protect women. And that's a problem. It seems that Chief Justice Roberts and Justice Brett Kavanaugh uh, may hold the key votes uh, in this case. Uh, Again, (laughs) based on what media reports are indicating, what questions did they ask at oral arguments? Well, they didn't ask very much of me. They they were asking questions of my friends on the other side a little more more than they asked questions of me. I I got a lot of questions from Justice Ginsburg and Justice Sotomayor and Justice Kagan and Justice Breyer. Um, and I want to get to those. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, I I did get a question from the chief about um, whether I whether I believed that a law can have benefits that are different from state to state. And, of course, I think the answer to that is yes, I do. I think it depends on what your regulatory structure is and what the facts on the ground. I mean, it, that seemed to me to be such a um, – uh, there seemed to be such a common sense response to that because people can earn the right to be regulated. And so, of course – it can have benefits in one state that are different from another state. It really depends on what's happening in your state. That's right. It's really why America is unique. It's why uh, it used to work fantastically. Uh, I mean, you think about it. Uh, if 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 the answer to that was no, then why would we need state legislators? Why not just let Congress make all our laws? Right. That's not. What's unique about our system of government is not what makes us a peaceful, prosperous nation. We are a, 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 we are a union of 50 sovereigns that have the opportunity to experiment, right, to determine uh, um, what kind of policies are best fit for a free people. Yes, this laboratory of democracy, which makes our our country the great country that it is. Now, uh, you you mentioned some of the other liberal-leaning justices. So what were some of those questions you received from Justice Ginsburg and and others? Well, you know, one of them is, isn't abortion always safe? Well, you know, my answer to that is no. Obviously, it's not always safe. And, you know, and and just to kind of point back to the Hellerstedt case, the Texas case, I mean, Justice Breyer asked um, my – uh, counterpart in Texas, Scott Keller at the time was arguing that case of, is there any woman who's ever been helped by an admi- by, by admitting privileges? And just because of the way that case had been litigated, they didn't have that evidence in their record. So he had to concede that that was not in the record. We do have that evidence in the record. So I can answer the, that question and say, yes, both, you know, both to the question of whether it's safe. There were women, you know, I mean, who had hysterectomies, um, punctured uteruses. And these are the things that require immediate transfer and attention. That is in our record. Um, so I can answer his question and say, no, I don't think it's always safe. And we know that there are known comp- predictable complications, even with doctors who are competent, um, in, a, in a facility that has that we can't say where everyone is competent and that is always safe and sanitary, that risk, those risks go up dramatically. Um, so certainly I think that was a question that gave me an opportunity to try and, in my view, clarify the record. As I said at the top, this case, you also challenged the standing, as I mm-hmm. understand it, of those who brought the lawsuit, the abortion clinics. That could have big implications as well if the Supreme Court decides it on, on those grounds. Tell us what that means, uh, what happened, the facts, and then also uh, what your argument was. Well, I'll tell you a little bit about you know why we raised it and how it, how it came up and 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 part of it is simply because when we started when I started especially when I started looking at the record in these this case and and in other cases that we're litigating against the same plaintiffs um reading deficiency reports and uh reading the 
reports from the Louisiana State Board of Medical Examiners and the, just the history of some of the providers' conduct in our state. And I just kept asking myself, why are the doctors representing women? And and these are health and safety regulations. They protect women. They protect us. I mean, that's true of all health and safety regulations. And so the conflict that was just inherent in that relationship and that situation, these doctors' interest is in being less regulated and having less oversight. Women have an interest in being having safe, sanitary procedures by competent people. So they just are fundamentally at, at odds, and I think it's wrong to assume that doctors, these doctors, any doctors, always know what women want and always can – that their interests are always going to be aligned. That's just simply not the uh, correct assumption to ever make. So that's why we raised it. In wrapping up here, I want to ask two final questions. First of all, probably a question you won't want to give me the answer to because I don't I know <laughs> nobody wants to make any predictions. But any any uh, any idea on where the justices might be leaning in here based on uh, the arguments? Well, first of all, just to kind of go back to the third party standing, you know, I think it's important for everyone to recognize that the court interprets standing in a very, very strict manner. OK. And, and that they basically have over these cases carved out kind of an exception for the abortion industry. Um, I think Liz refers to it as like abortion distortion, right, in, in standing. Uh, and so to kind of go back to I think I think that if you're looking for, you know, of course, you read all kind of articles. I like to read. When I see the left start saying things like, I think the chief justice may have an off-ramp or the court may have an off-ramp to a case, uh, it makes me feel good because it makes me think we're going to win. Um, of course, trying to determine what the court is going to do is extremely difficult. Uh, but certainly if the court ruled that that they did not have third party standing, they lack standing, we, it, it would – the law would be upheld and then we – you know, it would basically start all over as to the other questions uh, that may be an, an, an easy route for the court. Um it was interesting, you know. Justice Breyer seemed a bit. Um, he seemed a bit agitated, like you know, like I don't know why. You know, he made a comment of I don't know why we we're not going to decide this case in these arguments right here, and you know, he just and which made me sense that he felt like he was on. Um, uh, he was moving upriver without a paddle, maybe, you know. Um, so it'll be interesting. But we'll ideally, you would get a ruling on both fronts, right, on the, on the, the facts of, of whether or not the law is constitutional and also on standing or, or is one preferable over the other? Well, I mean, just, you know, if, if, we, if we were successful on standing, the case would be dismissed. OK. So, you know, they would never get to the merits. If they found that we waived or forfeited that argument – um, they could potentially talk about it and then say that we forfeited it and then get to the merits. <laughs> There's a number of ways this thing gets can get sliced or diced. Um, or they could find that we forfeited the issue and uh, and it may come up in later cases because it's being litigated in, in other cases now uh, and get to the merits and really address Hellerstedt and whether a case that, that has a law that has similar features but is in other ways very distinctly different and operates differently and has a very different set of facts and where states are regulating against a totally different backdrop can be distinguished. And, you know, I mean, ultimately in this space, I think this quest- this case has always presented a question to the court about whether and, – and, and when you look at Hellerstedt and you look at our case – whether they're going to decide whether they really are a national abortion regulatory review board. Because if we can't – if they can't look at our case and see the distinctions and the differences in our case, 
I mean, that's a problem. I mean, we have we, we have the court determines cases and controversies. That means every case will be different. And, and so the legislature is a policy board. So, I mean, in my view, this isn't that complicated. We have cases. We have controversies. Our law is different. Our facts are different. Yes, you can have a different outcome. So that's what I'm hoping for. Well, and I appreciate you sorting it out for, for myself and our listeners. Uh, this has been very educational in terms of understanding uh, the case in more depth and and the arguments that you made. Uh, you also had outside the court, uh, obviously, a lot of uh, the pro-life movement there today uh, to support uh, the efforts of, of yourselves. Um, what's the one message uh, for both of you that you'd like to leave our listeners as, uh, as you walk away from, from the court? today? Well, I, you know, I, one of the messages is I, th- I think that people should understand that, that we're, we are gaining ground. You know, I, a lot of times, I, I believe on the conservative side, we think we're always losing. This is a great example that elections have consequences, right? My ability to get elected as the attorney general un- with a conservative mindset headstrong and making sure that we got great people like Liz Mural creating a solicitor general's office, bucking the governor of my state when he wanted to dismiss the case because he said it cost too much money, making sure that the budget, you know, when he said, well, then you're going to have to pay for it, working inside, being fiscally responsible. Uh, I would say that this case has all of the great things that Heritage supports, um, but it shows you that it, we can win, right? Because we can make it all the way up to the Supreme Court. So my message is, hey, Keep the faith. Liz, any final thoughts? Just, you know, very grateful. And I thank all the people that have been out there supporting us and praying for us and, you know, feeding us. And, you know, it's been a um, it's been a lot of hard work and I'm glad to kind of gotten through it today. But I'm grateful for all the help. Well, we appreciate you visiting the Heritage Foundation and talking to the Daily Signal uh, moments after stepping out of the court for the arguments. It is great to see both of you, and uh, we'll be keeping a close eye on it, probably a decision sometime in June. Thank you. Thank you. And that'll do it for today's episode. Thanks for listening to the Daily Signal podcast, brought to you from the Robert H. Bruce Radio Studio at the Heritage Foundation. If you haven't already, be sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, or Spotify. And please leave us a review or a rating on Apple Podcasts to give us any feedback. We'll see you again tomorrow. The Daily Signal podcast is brought to you by more than half a million members of the Heritage Foundation. It is executive produced by Kate Trinko and Rachel Del Judas. Sound designed by Lauren Evans, Thalia Rampersad, Mark Guiney, and John Pop. For more information, visit DailySignal.com.